Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. Like I was saying, and Laz says this, the race director, he said, once you think you can't win, like if that's what you came to do, once you think you can't win, it's very hard to stay in the game and stay motivated. And I never thought that I could the entire time, like, you know, um, I was like, I got this. Um, Had I swung downward and really, really not started, like stopped believing that, I don't know how hard would it be to stay in the game. Hey, what is up? This is Dr. Rob Bell. If you're interested in more mental toughness, just text the number 33444 to Dr. Rob Bell. That's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L. We have a weekly newsletter that goes out. and Plus, I'll send you a free ebook, The Best Mental Toughness Quotes That Will Make You Better. If you like this episode today, other episodes I really recommend checking out. Luke Tybersky, it's episode 10, The Ultimate Triathlon. Sarah Pionpiano, she went from two packs a day to champion triathlete. That's episode 13. You're going to love uh, The Iron Cowboy. That's episode 20. That was a Ferris wheel, how it started 50 Ironmans in 50 days. You're going to love Greg Sinches. He was a stroke from age 5 to an Ironman. And you're going to love Maureen Denise. That's episode 27, Running Across Indiana 382 miles. You can see the theme that's going on here. You're also going to love episode 36, Coach Brooke Williams, Overcoming Being Told You're Not Good Enough. This is episode 44. Let's get to it. Our guest today is an ultra runner. I'm very excited for this interview. So she's an athlete and event manager for Tailwind Nutrition. Uh, She's won the New Jersey Trail Series 24-hour run. Uh, She's also won the Brazo Bend 100. Um, but our guest is the first female to win Biggs Backyard Ultra. Now, Laz puts on this race uh, called Biggs Backyard Ultra. It takes place in Tennessee. So the concept of this race, it kind of goes like this. It's a 4.1-mile loop, and at the top of every hour, each athlete needs to take off for that 4.1-mile loop. So if they finish it in 53 minutes that, that our guest did on a consistent basis, they have seven minutes to rest. If they finish it in 30 minutes, they got 30 minutes to rest. So the race goes until there's only one finisher. Everyone else is a DNF. There's no leader in this race. And so our conversation today, this is the ultimate race of will and determination. So our guest today, you can follow her at at Magitron Runs. Our guest is Maggie Guterall. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited. And so... So with this race, and, and just to lay this one out, so you ran 250 miles, 60 laps, and this is over 50 hours of, of straight running, correct? Uh, yes, 60 hours, yep. And so, I mean, I know we've got some runners that definitely listen to this, but we have all athletes, we have uh, coaches, and this is all about mental toughness. I mean, I guess let's just delve into that, right? Like, um, 
you know, the year before you ran 44 hours, 183 miles, you know, before you had some IT band issues. I mean, talk about what was the whole mindset that you had actually going into this race? Um, I mean, I had a big, basically a year to kind of like let, to kind of like dwell and pick apart that moment last year where I decided to turn around or how I got to that point in the first place where I was pretty determined last year going into it. Um, but I probably hadn't completely sold myself on the idea of being the last one. I had too many unknowns and what will happen if this, how, and I had too many goals of like, it'll be cool to get here past 150 past 200. Um, and then this year I felt like I had finally sold myself on the idea and there was like literally like no holes in, in the thinking of I'm going to drop, like I just had like Johan Steen, the winner last year, Mm -hmm. he said that he, um, just made the decision simply to not quit before he got there. So the decision making was gone and he just stuck to that. I mean, that's easy. That's a really good, like kind of concept to have, but it's actually like (laughs) believing that yourself is like the hard part to execute and kind of like really get yourself to believe that. Um, so like me kind of sitting with that for like months prior to the race, um, made it like a reality. Um, but it's definitely hard to do. Like I've gone into races before being like, don't think about failure. Don't think about this. And like it happens. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you mentioned that belief, like how did you instill that belief into that concept that know that no matter what you were, you were just going to keep going? Um, Well, during training, like, you know, obviously you have a lot of time to think with like lonely miles and just hours and hours. And so I would kind of always like think to like hypothetical situations on how I would react if I, what is like, if my knee starts to stiffen up again, what will I do? Like, you know, obviously like believing only goes so far, you have to be proactive. So I was like, well, I'll just stretch and I'm going to do yoga leading up to it. I'm going to do more strength work. Um, But just kind of like trying to envision how you would feel at that moment and then how you're going to combat it in your brain. And that like really helped. Um, I mean, obviously you have to have the training to back it up. Sure. So if my training was crap, you know, I'm not going to believe that because I really know I'm just lying to myself. I've gone into races where I'm like, no, you'll be fine. And like, I know in the back of my mind that the training sucked yep. and like your body is just like, nope. So, I mean, I had the training to back it up. So I felt, but also how do you train for like 250, 300 miles, 400 miles? You have no idea. So, you know, you just kind of being smart in that aspect of training and just kind of doing what you know works. That really helped. With, um, cause I love that part about, I mean, so you kind of, did you go through like envisioning all possible worst case scenarios? I mean, Luke Tybersky did ultimate triathlon. He would imagine like in the swim that if a shark bit off his arm at this point, how he was going to react to it. And he said, that's kind of what gave him comfort on. He would, he had every kind of circumstance already mm-hmm. equated for. Did you do that? Uh, I didn't think of anything like that. No but, sharks? You know, no, <laughs> no sharks. But you mentioned like your IT band, if it locked up, I mean. Yeah. Um, and my crew was awesome with that because, uh, a couple of times I was like, well, now this is tight and this is tight. And things kind of started to like downward, not downward spiral because we were kind of maintaining, but they were pretty, pretty good about, you know, just being like, okay, this is the problem. This is what we're going to do. 
Um, and that was my plan going into it. They just had a lot more knowledge um, and were kind of thinking more clearly than me. So they played a really big role in it. But yeah, I definitely kind of played out different scenarios. You can literally never think of all of them. Sure. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. I think during the race on the third day, I started to kind of like play out scenarios in my head about how it would end. Um, but I realized that was dangerous during because then your mind's starting to think about the end when you really third, you don't know when that is. So I pushed those out of my head, but I think in training it has a place and just to kind of like imagine how I would react to every single situation, mostly like mental things. Like what happens when I'm so tired and delirious, all I want to do is lie down and go to sleep wherever I am. Like I tried to think about telling myself like it's just sleepiness. Um, it's not painful, even though it's so weird because your body's in this like fight or flight sleepy mode where like sleep is all you want. And it's not, your body's not in pain, but you just kind of have to ask yourself like, what is so bad about this? Um, so that kind of helps me get over a lot of different like downs mentally during mm -hmm. the race. Is there like one particular workout that you finished that was really tough that you overcame and told you that, that you were ready? Um, my longest training run, um, was, let's see, like September, mid September, mm -hmm. um, here. And I was really excited about it and I made up the course myself and it was the seven summits of Durango. Um, I had seen this kid on Facebook do this. Um, he drove to each trailhead and summited each. There's like, I would say there's seven major summits in, um, downtown Durango that you can basically see from downtown. So I linked those all together using bike path and trail and some road. Um, and it was 61 miles with 13,000 feet of elevation gain. It took me 15 hours and I definitely had some crazy low moments. Um, and I definitely made some errors in, in nutrition and hydration and stuff, but, um, but I felt really good and I could really run at the end. And, um, I don't know. I felt really good about my training to that point. Cause like, I mean, I moved to Durango in April from sea level from, um, Westchester, Pennsylvania area. Right. And that was hard. And it's really not a very good confidence boost for any kind of training you do when you first move there. So it was really nice to just get in a really good training block, a really hard run and realize like that I'm, I think I'm as ready as I can be yeah. physically. So so Katie Wright, Dave Proctor, Will Hayward, and then you were left. I mean, four people left. When you had that, when you were down to four, um, you kind of talked about being able to block out the finish. But what did you start thinking then? Um, I didn't really think much. I was like, well, this is the people here. And I know some of them are surprises, but also like, like Will was a surprise. Sure. <laughs> that he was still there. But like Katie, I was excited about because I was like, I told her, I was like, I wanted to be us two at the end. Um, Dave was looking strong the whole time. And so I was like, I wasn't worried about anyone. I was like, this is, this is it. Like it doesn't, I wasn't worried about if anyone's doing worse or better. It was just, we're just here and this is, we're doing this. Yeah. You just stay focused on what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tried. It got harder when it was just me and Will, but, um, I also really genuinely wanted to go past 300 miles. So I was really hoping Will, like I was paying attention to how he was doing. Um, and hoping that he could hang in there because he looked pretty rough. Um, he did make an upswing for a little bit. And then I was like, okay. And then like maintain <laughs> in case you lose this and you go into a downswing. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
what did I do? You yeah. Because he said, you know, you look like a total badass who looked like he was just finishing a 5K. I mean, that had to have played with him, right? <laughs> He's a funny guy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it mattered to him. Like, He's just so, like, that guy is mentally tough. Like, I always think, and Laz says this, the race director, he said, once you think you can't win, like, if that's what you came to do, once you think you can't win, it's very hard to stay in the game and stay motivated. And I never thought that I could the entire time, like, you know, um, I was like, I got this. Um, Had I swung downward and really, really not started, like, stopped believing that, I don't know how hard would it be to stay in the game. Will never believed that he could win and he stayed in it the whole time. His crew, obviously, I think you read his race report, obviously like his crew was packed up and ready to go at 36 hours and he hung on for another day, like by a thread. Like, I mean, that's to me is insane mental toughness. Like just, he stayed in it for like to honor the competition. Really. Mm-hmm. Like, not even for himself or his crew anymore. Like it, that's incredible. What was the toughest part of the race for you? Um, I mean, there's parts during the night that is just very hard because, like, that was my first experience with two full nights of no sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking forward to three, even though everyone told me not to look forward to that. So I heard it's pretty rough. Um, there was parts in the second day that you know because you're still you're still not even at 200 miles in the second day. And I was like tired, um, not like physically, but just hard to focus on the trail and really sleepy. Um, I don't know, just little dips, nothing like major that didn't last more than like half a loop or so. Um, Cause I tried not to think about what lap number I was on or anything. Yeah. When, when you are running, you're in that state. I mean, um, what's, how do you, how do you find your rhythm there? Are you, are you singing songs? Are you kind of, you know, figuring out the, uh, world's problems or are you just focused on your rhythm the whole time? Um, yeah, I mean, day one's pretty boring. So yeah, you kind of have to like, you almost want to just chat with people, even though I'm not like, I don't always really like to chat during a, a race or something. Um, right. but there's a lot of people and you kind of just want to focus on taking care of yourself and try to think ahead to like, okay, how am I going to maximize my seven minutes? Um, it becomes second nature after a while and the crew gets in a rhythm too. But at night, yeah, I listen to music. I really like actually just, to be honest, I like road running. Um, it just, you can kind of zone out and just yeah. get in a rhythm. That's the rhythm you can, that looks really nice. The night, even though it's like, seems long, like it goes pretty quick because obviously you're not going anywhere and it's dark and whatever, you have more time to take care of yourself. Um, the third day was the hardest, but it went really fast just because it took so much concentration to get through each lap because I was either slowing down or tripping a lot. So I like verbally said to myself, like pace or footing or focus, because if I, my mind started to wander on how the race would end, I yelled focus at myself. I tried to do it mentally, like in my head, and that didn't work as well. So I was just like yelling at myself. In yeah, I get a little louder. Sure. Yeah, it worked. It was. I, I was like, this is insane and actually mentally taxing, like talking to yourself the whole time, but yeah. it was working. So I was like, I'll just do this. <laughs> I love it. Having that keyword for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned your crew, Team Sparkle, right? So so <laughs> it was Gina and Jen. Now you mentioned how impactful that they were. One of the things I definitely believe is that no one gets there alone, but talk about their impact on how well you're able to do. 
I mean, it was huge. So Gina has like a ton of experience with sleep deprivation and, and crewing there and other races. So I asked her to crew me and she brought Jen along because uh, Amelia Boone um, and I were sharing resources and we, she didn't have anyone. So, and then as you drop out, you acquire more people kind of help. But um, so we acquired another woman, Annie, who was crewing a French Roy and the three of them, like, I was like, I asked them later because I realized none of, I didn't know what any of them did. And I was like, are you guys all physical therapists? Because <laughs> you seem like you knew exactly what you're doing. And like, um, uh, Jen works with physical therapists and she works in a hospital and Annie's husband's a physical therapist. And Gina just knows from like years of doing her own races and just kind of like crewing and whatnot. So any kind of physical, they kept me running physically, which is amazing. And that kept my head in the game. So, you know, obviously no one can really like mold your mental state. I mean, people can give you a little pep talks, but like, like last year when I was ready to quit, there's no one, no one was talking me out of it. Like it didn't matter. So I feel like they kept me able to do that kind of single-minded focus to just stay in it. Um, and I actually stopped, that was the least stressful I've ever been during a race, like least stressed out before. And at least stressed out, like during none, none of the breaks were stressful for me, like, you know, cause you're up against it. You got whistles blowing every, every minute leading up to the three minute warning, two minute warning. And I never felt stressed because of them. They just, we were like a NASCAR pit. It was great. I mean, it had to have been huge, right? Cause any, any type of stress that you'd be getting, having to think about something, one, you'd probably forget about it, but if you had to think about it, I mean, that's going to cause a lot more mental taxation on you. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, you know, you don't need crew to do that race, but I think you're in a disadvantage when you get down to like, you know, those critical days, final hours, whatever it is. Um, plus no one never doesn't have crew because all the runners drop out. Like Will, for example, he had crew. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it was helpful to have him. Like at one point I thought it was going to end after Dave dropped out. So I had, I told Guillaume, I was like, give, you got to keep Will in it. Like, you know, you know, talk to him or something, you know, I don't, it can't end yet. And so Guillaume gave him a little pep talk and I came back and realized Will and Andy Pearson were crewing for the guy <laughs> or Guillaume was crewing for Will. Um, so yeah, he definitely helped <laughs> Will stay in it longer, but like Guillaume has a lot of experience and a lot of yeah. miles at backyard. So so he knew, um, he knew what to do. And so like, that's part of the reason Will was able to stay in it so long too. Cause like, I don't think Will was eating and at a certain point you're not making great judgment. My crew right. never let me leave without having something to eat, you know, like even though you don't feel like it or whatever, they made sure I never forgot my bottle of tail and which I almost tried to walk out with multiple times and like, it's, it's important. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So coming down the stretch so then you were told i mean you're running for an entire gender yeah what was what uh, was that moment they like waited till after to tell me that oh oh, I, oh gotcha okay I, I i had it in my mind i knew it was like it, it helped me too to be like oh you're not just running this for your own self like i knew i mean i don't think anyone doubted that a woman could win this event that just hasn't happened yet right and i mean statistically the numbers aren't there so there's a higher chance a man's going to win <laughs> if there's like 7% women there, you know? So, um, it just had to happen. Courtney almost did it last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of determined 
for that too. I mean, finishing Barkley is a goal of mine. There's no, no woman's ever finished there. And I definitely feel like all the women are cheering you on when you're there. Um, that's a whole different can of worms, but like, yeah. I knew that I could probably pull off the backyard thing. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, when it comes to mental toughness and determination, so your your mom and dad spoke about you as a kid. You got new skis, and like you were determined to like ski down that hill. Like mm-hmm. you just stayed out there until you did it. Like, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, you don't remember your mom and dad telling the story? I, well, I remember. I remember them telling the story. I don't remember that story. Oh, like, oh, I don't oh, remember okay. being that kid skiing. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you remember then uh, growing up or throughout your life? I mean, when else did that kind of determination and will and grit, when did that else like present itself? Um, Probably Sundays when we were getting ready for church and my mom wanted me to wear a dress and I didn't want to. (laughs) I bet those went well, right? (laughs) No, my mom always said I should be a lawyer (laughs) because I like to argue and I was very stubborn. Um, I don't know that I like to argue, but if I have an idea in my head, it's in my head. Um, so what, have, so that's stubbornness. I mean, yeah. how, how important is that when it comes to what you do? Um, it's definitely pretty stubborn or pretty important. Like yeah. stubbornness can lead to like stupid decisions. So, you know, um, but sometimes it's useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You really have to stay motivated in your, your final goal though. Stubbornness carries you so far, I guess. I, one of the things I like to say is like, you know, I like athletes that are stubborn that can believe in themselves and, but they got to be coachable at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like, um, I'm like a, a kind of like a sponge. Like, I think that's partially why some people, um, grow and become really good in the sport. Like I think Courtney DeWalter, she never thinks like, Oh, I'm good enough. that I don't have anything to learn from every, anyone else. She always like picks up little things from other people. And not that I'm like Courtney DeWalter, but I've learned a lot from her and I feel like she's learned some from me and every little tidbit someone tells me uh, that I felt like is valuable. I try to put it to use, um, especially people who have done well in certain events, like everything Guillaume's told me about, you know, the mental part of it or anything John Kelly said to me about, training for Barkley, I kind of put in a little shelf in my head and, and try to remember that. Um, uh, I don't know. You can, you're always learning, obviously, like never have it figured out. Yeah. When it comes to mental toughness, like what do you think is your best mental skill? Mm, My best mental skill. I don't know. I mean, obviously being stubborn is, I guess, good because be good good and bad um i well i'm all or nothing person so i don't know what type of one word mental skill that would fall under but um if if i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do it at the same time if i'm gonna half-ass something then it's gonna be less than half-assed so you know i'm i'm like all in for training for a race and i'm gonna go for it or you know it's just not there right no, I, I love it. Um, so when you think about just in general then with mental toughness, like how do you um, how do you speak about it? How do you define it? Um, what is mental toughness to you? I guess that it's just kind of like this strong-willed um, 
driven type single-minded focus. Um, I feel like that's the best way I can describe it. That's a good question. I've never actually thought what mental toughness really is. Oh, it's, it, it's all I think about. So, right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you can achieve so much with it. Um, but it's hard to tell, like, it's weird because certain races where you think, like, I always have thought of as a mentally tough person, but there's certain races where it breaks you down and you're like, well, I wasn't as mentally tough as I thought. So it's like an up and down thing. So the, all the different races that you've done, um, when you go back and you look at where we've messed up, where things have gone wrong, um, I mean, what's, uh, what's, what's the deciding factor usually when it comes to your successful races versus those that just did not go well? Is your, prep, uh, is your preparation? Yeah, probably training. <laughs> yeah. I always try to trick myself. Like, you know, the one race where I'm like, I think I'm teetering on the edge of, of mm, disaster and overtraining. And I didn't have this great training block leading up to it. But I think because of how hard I trained throughout the year carried me over. And then I went into like a huge dip of just burnout was Brazos Ben 2016. And like, I was like, well, I haven't done a ton of training, but I'd done a bunch of stuff in the fall. Right. And so I kind of rested, but it paid off. But I, at the same time was not really like, I was like, I just, maybe I shouldn't go. Um, so you know, that was like the one time I feel like I squeaked through and maybe the rest was more what I needed than actual preparation. But every other race where, um, where I've kind of fallen, fallen apart mentally and hasn't gone well is, um, is my training. Yeah. yeah. Is that true for like Western States as well? Yeah. The second year. So the first year I trained so hard. Um, the second year is just like, a lot of life things and whatever normal excuses for not having the best training block. Um, I was also, my heart wasn't in it. So the training was like a chore. Um, I think if you're not having fun training too, maybe even if you think about it, I'm like, Oh, I put in these amount of workouts. They weren't as great, but if your heart's not in the training, then it's not good training, I think. And, uh, but I went anyway and it turned out terrible. <laughs> so if your heart's not in the training, it's probably not good training. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought of that. No, that's a great one. I love it. Um, what about when it comes to like one of the things we always talk about are these these hinge moments. So in people's lives, I mean, there's one moment, there's sometimes one person, one event that makes all the difference. So it kind of connects who we are with who we're going to become. Can you share a hinge moment in your life? Um. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want like a running moment? Um, or... I want the, I want the one that's most impactful for you that made the biggest difference. Um, I mean, getting sober is a good hinge moment. Please. Uh, yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's like, uh, I don't know if the hinge moment's supposed to be this like pinpointed instant moment, but I feel like it was a slow, if you described like your door that you were talking about, the hinges of opening very slowly. That's right. um, and small, it small while. hinges, small hinges, open big doors. Yeah, that's right. It was a big door. And like, um, so, you know, you kind of have to find your new place in this world as corny as it sounds, but you're like, don't know where you're, where you fit in. Um, 
so I kind of had to like, and I had run before that, um, you know, during when I was drinking and stuff off and on, obviously it wasn't super good quality. And, um, but I slowly over three months started to like, realize like, you know, okay, (laughs) I have like no purpose in life. What, what is my purpose? Like, and so I started running, um, consistently in March and like, I mean, it was like, it was amazing. I was like, I can't imagine how you can feel this good and not, you know, be wasted. Right. <laughs> it was, it was pretty impactful. Um, and I was just thought I was like, okay, I'll just be like a recreational runner that completes races and, and, um, you know, just for my own, like whatever, just to complete a marathon. I wanted to, um, train for the, I wanted to run the Boston marathon. I thought that was like a good goal. So my first marathon, my goal was to run a a Boston qualifier and I did that. And then each, each of these little moments where I'm like, well, maybe I could be good at this, like kind of open the door a little more. I think the biggest moment for me that made me like realize like, holy crap, I did stuff, something that I read about in magazines was the New Jersey one day where I ran, um, it was like 142 miles to make the team mm-hmm. um, in 20, the 2015 uh, world championship team for 24 hour championships. Um, and like, that was the first time I experienced flow in a race, um, which is super Good. cool. And yeah. I was like, I don't know what this is. And I heard people talk about it and I was like, that's what happened to me. <laughs> um, it's just like a super cool feeling. And it's like, you know, where your training matches your mental ability and your focus and everything just lines up. Um, and so that's kind of like what I like strive for in a race. And it's hard to get to, even if you have a good race. So sometimes I'm like, I never got there. Right. Um, so it's good, su- good time super- to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that was like, when the door flung open, maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you mentioned like sobriety, so, I mean, I mean, my personal belief, I think everybody, we're all messed up, right? Like just <laughs> some of us, some of us hired are crazy more than others. I mean, um, you know, I mean, I, I haven't drank in four years. Um, I've shared my issues with addiction. Uh, I think we all have our issues. Um, but I mean, you went through some tough times before running as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah. And I think about that. It's all self-inflicted tough times. Like I had a a good childhood and great parents and whatever, but yeah. um, But that I think is part of the reason that makes it so tough is because you don't have anything to pinpoint. So you have like a lot of guilt based, you know, directed towards yourself. I'm like, why are you such a shitty person? Um, So yeah, I mean, that's definitely like a, a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. You know, I, I get that. Cause I think like the shame and guilt, um, man, I mean, that's just, that's, it's just a heavy blanket to be wearing over our whole lives. I mean, and I don't think like it, we really overcome it. I think it's just one of those things that we just learn to navigate it better. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I still feel guilty when I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go for a training and I'm not going to go bike riding with my boyfriend. <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, it's a different kind of guilt, but it's still guilt. And like, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always there. It's probably my number one driving factor and sometimes why I do things, but yeah, you navigate it differently. What's the number one driving factor? Guilt sometimes, you know, can you talk about that? Um, I'm trying to think of some examples like, 
you know, sometimes I'm like, well, do I really want to do this? Or do they think other people want me to do this? Um, and then when you're kind of doing things for the wrong reasons is when, you know, things, things kind of become not enjoyable. Um, and I think it's okay to sometimes do things for yourself or like, because you want to, and no one else necessarily wants you to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's always good to question your motives, you know, at least for like someone like you or I, like, okay, why am I doing this? Right. Is there a healthy reason or, you know, and I also think, well, this is maybe on a tangent, but I also think it's okay to like, I mean, it's in our, it's, it's, it's how we're wired, but I think it's okay to replace something with something else. So, you know, for the amount of energy that I put into drinking, I can now put that into running and I'm okay for sure. with that, even though some people say like, well, <laughs> this is, looks crazy. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we always have to have that outlet. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, that's how you or I are wired. I believe like maybe some people are more, um, balanced, but I'm not, and I'm probably not ever going to be that way. <laughs> Yeah. Or I could try to make myself that way, but I'll probably be more crazy. So, um, so like an, another question, I guess when it comes to that, like the guilt, the shame, um, fear of not being good enough. Um, did you ever have, this is a question I kind of ask all my guests. I'm always fascinated by it, but did you ever have that moment or that person that said that you, you can't do it? Oh yeah. Um, I've definitely heard some like doubtful comments or people, maybe they didn't even mean it, but like the way they said it, I was like, they don't really believe I can do this. And that's definitely pushed me to do like push past certain things to like run something faster, longer than I thought I could do. Um, I feel like the older I get though, I care less and less about that those right. comments to be honest. Like um, after 2017, when I kind of got burnt out and took like a break and every race sucked, <laughs> I was like, I, I'm just picking races I think I should do instead of things that speak to me. So now I like only pick what I think will challenge me or what I'm interested in. And that's really worked a lot. And I don't really care how I do, um, as long as I like am happy with myself and how I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's, it sounds corny, but it makes a huge difference. So as long as I'm honest with myself, I think then I'm, this is way more enjoyable. Yeah. So on the other side there, I mean, cause I think the big two emotions are always like fear and love. I mean, what about love and joy and gratitude and perspective? How does that drive you when it comes to your races and training and what you do? Um, well, I mean, I love, this is what I love to do. Um, I don't, know that my boyfriend loves it all the time but <laughs> to be sane I need to kind of compete I have like I could I thought about what I like running as much as there was no competition aspect and yeah I'd still do it but I love working towards the goal um and I mean to be honest like because I can it feels like I should you know like otherwise I don't know like um there's a lot of people that maybe would like to do, you know, certain things and they can't. Um, and I don't know, it makes it feel more meaningful when I'm like, you know, pushing past something where it's like, like my one friend, Jean crewed me at a race once and she was in a bad car accident and is in a wheelchair and, you know, she has no, like she's paralyzed from the waist down 
And she, she once was like, man, I would give anything to be able to quit something. Like, Do you or a loved one need a better night's sleep? Sleep is the most important component to our overall mental and physical health, but too often we just don't get a good night's sleep. The product that you need, without a doubt, is Psalm Sleep. What you do is you drink a can of Psalm Sleep 30 minutes before you want to fall asleep. You have a great night rest, and then you wake up feeling refreshed, not foggy or hungover. I drink it all the time when I know I need an important night's sleep, and I can't mess around with it at all. Listeners today, you get 15% off if you go to GetSom, that's G-E-T-S-O-M dot com, and in the promo code, enter Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, you get 15% off. Everyone needs a better night's sleep. Go to GetSom.com. Obviously, she probably, she's pretty tough. She probably would DNF very rarely, but like, um, I keep that in mind sometimes when I'm like, okay, do you really need to, like, do you need to stop or do you need to slow down like or are you just making excuses for yourself and that's like really resonated with me for a long time Mm -hmm. you know the the raw suffering um so i know we both love a quote from alex hunold and i mean he said like nothing great is achieved when you're warm and cozy Mm -hmm. and i love that one i'm glad you, you said that one as well i mean i don't know how you are but i'm just curious about that mindset when it comes to uh, finding meaning in your suffering. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, it makes, I I mean, I was, I think it's some kind of like deep down human nature thing where we need hard to do hard things to feel more rewarded. Um, and so I don't know, I just enjoy the normal things in life more when I've done something difficult. (laughs) Like I enjoy my day more when I've gone out and a freezing cold run and push myself for two hours. Um, feel like you've earned that or like you've earned that cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Even the, the warm hoodie that you put on or like, yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, I feel like, you know, I can enjoy the holidays more because I went, worked to this really hard goal and now I deserve to like just kick back and relax for a month or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also, kind of like motivates me more to get back into it um that's what i found though is like a lot of ultra runners do this as they go from training to one race training to another training 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 they're literally never training for any not training for anything like whereas marathoners have you know elite marathoners at least will have um an up and down you know season where they'll race two races or something and like for some reason ultra runners don't do that and i think that like that it burns you out you know, if you just keep that. Yeah. So I've learned that. Um, so I try to have down, down season. My, my two goals usually are just Barkley and Biggs lately, <laughs> Right, right. but they come at a good time of the year. It's like April and October and then fill in the in-betweens like, and it works for me. Um, cause I'm going to ask about Barclays in just a minute, but I want to ask you another question. Um, when, um, you know, there have been Super Bowl champions. There have been people that have flown back from the Olympics. And they've held up Super Bowl trophy or they had that medal. And then they kind of thought to themselves, boy, is that it? Um, and it's because they love the process about what they did so much that they just didn't really want it to end. And because of four years of focus just on that one event, 
Um, and again, it's just a general question. I'm just curious. I mean, was has that did that moment ever click in, or did that that mindset ever happen? Like, okay, now what, or what's next after after this significant event, after Biggs? Um, not yet. I don't think so. I think there's more to experience and achieve in that race, particularly. Um, plus, the big thing will be like my long project of finishing Barkley. Yeah. Um, if I can do that, which I mean, I wish I could apply the same mindset going into Barkley as I could for Biggs, but it's just not going to work that way. Um, there's so many factors in Barkley. It's just such a different beast, but, um, but that would be super cool to be the first woman. Um, at the same time, I think there's a lot of really good women that if they give it a shot or they have given it a shot, but if they want to keep trying, they can, do really well maybe they can finish and maybe i won't be the first but um to finish in general is an accomplishment um but it will be really cool when a woman finishes barclay <laughs> yeah and so um so those that aren't ultra runners i mean barclay's um you know it's again in the in tennessee uh i mean you have 100 miles you have five different 20 i mean it's probably over 100 right but i mean it's gonna be five 20 ish mile loops yeah and you have so much orienteering and just challenges that you go through. I mean, this will be your third time doing this in, in April. Yeah, it'll be my third attempt. Talk yeah. about talk about that race then. Um, well, like, my first year, like I had that crazy, you know, I've never done anything like this. I've never trained for a race with this much vert. So I kind of like took all the pieces of every kind of finisher and like, you know, I took different puzzles from, you know, Gary Robbins. And even though, you know, he's not quite a finisher, but I mean, he, he's got the training there mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff from, I've heard that Jared Campbell's did and John Kelly and all these different finishers, John Fegaversi. And, um, to, I kind of like pieced them all together and worked with my coach, Michelle Yates. And I think I trained harder and like, you know, as hard for that race as any race like I've ever trained for and kind of knowing what that entails is really daunting now because the second year I did it, um, I got this new jump at tailwind. I was traveling a lot and I was moving across country, like as soon as I got back from Barkley. So as much as I try to keep that same momentum, it wasn't there. Um, you know, so I know what it takes. Well, I don't know what it takes to finish, but I thought my training was good. Like training wasn't what did me in the first year. It was not knowing what I know. Um, and it was, you know, not necessarily navigation, but kind of having to be glued to someone else who knew the race better than you, um, or whatever. But then the first, the second year, it was definitely my training. My body was just exhausted after six hours. Um, so, yeah, I feel like next time, if I have a training block like I did last year, I would, it's only fair to take my name out of Barkley and then, you know, explain to Laz, like, it's not there. Um, hopefully, I don't have any excuses why it should be shitty this year because I don't plan on getting a new job and I don't plan on moving. So, right. you know, hopefully, you know, unless we have the worst winner ever, there's still things you can do. I mean, get on a treadmill or make a little 
but you know, like a little behind our hill, just pack down some snow and do repeats or something, run on dirt roads, whatever I need to do. Um, so there shouldn't be any excuses this year, but you know, um, for someone like me, who isn't like the most, you know, I'm not like the greatest athlete. I'm not a Jared Campbell. Who's like a freak of nature. I need really good conditions. I think <laughs> to have a really good race there. So I'm really going to cross my fingers for, you know, not a lot of fog and brain craziness. Sure. Um, we'll see. How important is, uh, is the, the crew when it comes to Barclays? Um, I haven't experienced how, I mean, your turner, you see that they see you so rarely. They see you every like eight to 12 hours in a yeah. loop. And so I've only ever gone back out my first year. I went out on the second loop and it, I timed out, but I've only ever done one transition there <laughs> and it was my boyfriend and my friend Leon and uh, it was a disaster, but I got ready and it wasn't because the aid station, because my transition took 15 minutes. My loop was already super long. I was already up against it. Right. Um, I mean, I guess if your crew sends you out with the wrong stuff or, you know, a headlamp that doesn't work or something like, sure. um, it can be, you know, whatever, but I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think, I think if you have your stuff pretty dialed and just kind of direct your crew, which I'm not the greatest at, then it's not a, a, as big a deal as it is at like bigs. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to overall mentality, do you, uh, do you hate to lose more than you love to win? Um, I don't know. I've heard Courtney DeWalter say that, but I don't know if that's, I don't know. I'm used to losing kind of, I don't win a lot. <laughs> so I just, as long as like, you know, there's people that you just, they had it like, like losing to certain people isn't a terrible thing. Um, as long as I felt like I gave it my best shot, like yep. as corny as that sounds, like I feel like, you know, then I can't be mad about it and I can't be disappointed. Um, like there's only one winner <laughs> and I can't always be that person. And I think if I did feel like that, then I might be like kind of upset a lot. Um, so, you know, it makes it more special when you can pull it off, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think your accomplishment of what you did is just absolutely amazing. Um, my last question is this, I started asking all my guests, but mm-hmm. is, um, is there something I should be asking that, that I'm not asking? Mm-hmm. That's funny. Um, I usually get a long pause with that one too. Yeah, I feel like someone else asked me that actually, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> um, what about this? Let me rephrase it. Okay. Um, there's a high school athlete, boy or girl, middle school athlete, somebody that's listened to this. What advice can you give to them? Like, if you were to tell, if you were to tell that that young Maggie, like, what would you tell her? Yeah, just don't compare yourself to anyone else um, because, you know, A, you might limit your ceiling or, you know, you might be selling yourself short. Um, I, when I first started ultra running, I would compare myself to who I thought was the best person in the race and then kind of make my goal based on that and be like, well, they could probably do this. So let me put my goal here and I feel like that's realistic. Um don't do that. <laughs> How did you get away from that? Um, yeah, I mean, it took a while for me to figure that out. But I mean, again, like that hinge moment in running, 
where I was like, well, I did something I didn't think I could do. Um, I ran more than a, another woman on the team who I idolized, who's like a, a big influence to me, um, who's an exceptional runner. And um, I had run more than she did. And I was like, well, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I don't have to use that as a comparison. Like, just do your thing, what you think you can do, what you know you can do. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. I, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, and your first, very first marathon you ever did too, was that the Philadelphia marathon? Yeah. That was the first one I did as well. Oh, was it? Yeah. That's a good, good race. Yeah. It was nice. Nice and flat, beautiful, mm -hmm. perfect time of year. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of looked, so then you had a three thirty qualified yeah. for Boston. Yeah. I had like a three twenty one. Wow. So is it okay if we say that, you know, I was faster? Yeah. So than, you should sign up for bigs. And then maybe you could run farther than there I. we go. See, that's it. I love that challenge, right? <laughs> no, I had I had to at least put that in there because I mean, what you did is just so remarkable. Um, you know, it, it's just it's great, and I'm I'm so glad you're a pioneer to do this. And thank you so much for just joining us here on the podcast, man, and be able to share the the mental toughness. Um, where would you like people to uh, to, uh, to follow you? Oh, um, I'm on Instagram at Magatron Runs and Twitter the same handle, although I'm not on Twitter much. Um, and then Facebook, Maggie Gutero. Awesome. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.